where Gimli is like, I don't really understand the appeal of forests, but I think I'd have a good time in one if you were with me. But Legolas <laughs> is like, I normally wouldn't be caught dead in a spooky underground <laughs> cave, but the way you describe it makes me think it's beautiful. It's like, God, just kiss already. Yeah. Then they go to the Undying Lands together. Wherever you <laughs> It all comes together. Yeah. The Legolas and Gimli doing the Titanic thing, but he's just like holding Gimli at arm's length. No, 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 no. no. You know Legolas Gimli is would just be like Rose. a full foot under his arm. So Gimli's just holding, like standing up on the railings, like <laughs> hurt. Yes. Either Gimli has like a box to stand on, or he's just like holding Legolas by the thigh. No, wait, I got it, I got it. Gimli's doing the Legolas hold thing, but Aragorn is holding up Gimli. <laughs> yes. yes. And only one of them doesn't have super strength, so Aragorn is visible. Visibly like, <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. I made myself a blended mocha thing because I've discovered that cold brew is better stored in ice cube trays than just in a pitcher in my fridge for two weeks. So that's Uh-oh. fun. <laughs> and Cyan is a special guest for a little Valentine's Day episode. I have had three cups of coffee and have now switched to tea. Woo! <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's going to go great. <laughs> it's our obligatory uh, three aces and a joker uh, episode of the OS pod. Indigo's own words from last week, I will have everyone know. <laughs> I'm a very quotable joker. <laughs> It's just too I good. I did watch um, The Birds of Prey last night, in prepar- not in preparation for this episode, but it did conveniently line up with this. We nice. watched Duck Dodgers, so we you We watched know. Duck Dodgers. <laughs> Cyan for uh, my birthday, which at time of recording is today, uh, got me a, a little DVD set of Duck Dodgers, which is funnier even than it was when I first watched it as a child <laughs> in the early 2000s. <laughs> uh, I watched the 1994 The Shadow movie. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days you gotta watch something good, Red. You're killing me. <laughs> I've watched good things before. I narrowly avoided watching Krull this weekend. That's a step up. Yeah. Red's whole video was about good things. True. True. Speaking of which. Let's, let's start with that. Yeah, let's talk about mice. Yeah, <laughs> mouse. My, my small mammal in a big world video where the title that I was working on it changed about four different times while I was writing it because initially I was like little mouse on a big adventure and I was like too much of this video is about Watership Down for me to specify that it's got to be mice it's like a small small mammal on a big adventure small mammal in a big scary world and I was like it's eh, fuck it people will get the idea it, it was kind of funny because like as we were talking about it usually when we talk about a video we will call it the same thing mutually but like every time over the course of the weeks you were working on it that we talked about it we were calling it different things yeah (laughs) which was kind of humorous what i like about the the response to that video is a few people were like where does like toy story fit into this and i was like shit that's good uh because because there is like a sort of secondary genre of like small people on a big adventure which does happen because you get um your little like secret world of arietti the the borrowers i think the book that they adapted that from uh which is kind of the same energy but significantly more secret world urban fantasy coded mm-hmm. than uh than the general space of little mice on big adventures or rabbits as the case may be big it's takes two energy yeah oh, we're well, yeah. playing as uh parents but smallified i think that's an interesting case because you are fully people and the dramatic irony cosmic horror is kind of the other way around because you are now like secret worlded into a small world that you as the player don't understand. So it's a very 
cool reverso of the trope. I mean, in some that's... cases, it's a world you created because it's like, oh no, the garage is a mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a thing where it's like, that's from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and uh, Fantastic Voyage uh, type things. And, um, oh man, there was a, I want to say it was an Edward Eager uh book I read when I was younger. He did all these books about kind of like little young British children have whimsical, magical adventures. Uh, one of them was like half magic where they had this like coin that granted wishes, but only halfway. So anybody who wished something on it, it would come half true, uh, like that kind wow. of thing. And there was one where the kids were sort of building up this large, like kind of, you know, like junk toy fortress of like cardboard boxes and like castles and stuff. And uh, some of that story, if I recall correctly from having read it when I was like eight, uh, they end up basically shrunk down and experiencing this magical civilization from the inside that they've been shaping from the outside in their, you know, pretend play uh, toy sessions, which has shades of cosmic horror because similar to Toy Story, there there's a slightly horrifying implication of like, mm, if toys are sentient, uh, normal play becomes war crimes. And I don't know how much the kids want to be like, this, this is like the exact same level of crisis of like, if fictional characters have thoughts and feelings, then writing is a war crime. Like that kind oh, of God. thing. Uh, the kinds of things that, that kids have crises over when they watch Toy Story at a formative age. Uh, but fortunately, the little mouse on a big adventure stories don't have any implications of that. The closest you get is like, oh, if rats are sentient, keeping pets is morally dubious. But, y you know, like that's generally not touched on in these stories. The closest Cleo is to... definitely sentient and definitely does not care that she is being kept as a pet. Yeah, yeah. As far as <laughs> Cleo is concerned, I think the house is hers uh, and everyone yeah. else just kind of lives in it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a very interesting thing to unpack because as I was sort of looking through it, the the tone in the video of like, yeah, this leads to this one unique thing that I've basically never seen happen outside this genre was basically the timeline of me thinking through it because I was like, I'm having fun with this, I'm having fun with that. Nothing has really lived up to the, the high of reading Watership Down for the first time, but that's okay. And then it was like, hey, wait a second. Wait a second. This is like if I was the Eldritch Horror reading The Color Out of Space. That's a very difficult to replicate feature in most stories. Uh, and then the yeah. thing is, when I set that standard for myself, I kept watching all these other, like, Disney Mouse movies that I hadn't seen at a young age that, uh, that I was sort of, like, catching up on as nerd homework. And the one on my list that I forgot was Ratatouille, but that's fine. They're, they're, I'll save it for another day. Well, um, how like, did you forget Ratatouille? Well, no, no, I was no, busy. There right. was a whole Real musical. Question, did you no, no, watch no, no, Flushed no, no, Away? No, no, no. No, no Red, you have talked about how sometimes you have to not go for the obvious choice so that the audience has something to fill in with their own experience. Because like, sometimes it's true. it's too obvious. Yeah, yeah. But so you're saying it was intentional. Yes. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A my, calculated choice. My machinations lay undetected. Anyway, uh, but yeah, the thing is, like, I'd set myself up for, like, dramatic irony, cosmic horror. I want to see these mice experience the horrors. And then just... For some reason, Disney didn't deliver on what I was looking for. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, Re-listening through uh, The Dark Portal was interesting because I'd read through it when I was in middle school and then I found there was a really good audiobook of it, which was good. Um, and they had this twist in it that I almost brought up in the video and then realized didn't actually apply as well as I remembered it, uh, which is the, uh, the evil cat's evil scheme involves essentially releasing a, something from a plague pit from the 1600s mm. in uh, in England. And I remember this being this absolutely horrifying revelation when I read it the first time. I was like, oh my God, they didn't realize that what they were excavating for was a plague pit. And then reading through it, uh, 
as I was reading through the book, I was like, wait a second. When I read this, I definitely didn't have enough knowledge and context to piece together only from context clues that they were digging up a plague pit. So the book must have informed me at some point. And when I got to that point, basically the mouse that, that's around is like, wait a minute, I remember learning about this in mouse school. This is the circumstances <laughs> under which they buried those, those pl victims of the plague that happened that one time. And I was like, oh... That's a little bit less fun than the, the guys in Scurry figuring out what uh, radiation poisoning looks like. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the panels from Scurry with the nuclear war and the, like, the wolf of fire and the, like, damn. That, I saw a lot of the comments were like, that's insanely cool. Yep. yep. That comic rewired my brain a little bit. And the guy who wrote it uh, basically made a little blog post that was like, hey, guys, watch this video. It talks about the thing I'm doing. <laughs> I was oh, like, nice. oh. So... It's always a fun feeling. Yeah. I did like uh, seeing uh, the ways in which OSP videos can talk to each other across time and space, where it's like, you know, the color out of space, color, mysterious colors unlike anything ever seen on Earth? It's that. And then the audience who's been around is like, oh, I know immediately what you're talking about. This is a very useful example. It was really cool to see how just seamlessly that clicked for a lot of the people watching. Like, oh, yeah, no, it would be like reading the color out of space and being like, oh, well, obviously. So I'm that glad. was fun. Yeah, that, half the fun for me is building on previous videos so that they talk to each other, but I try to purposefully rein it in a little bit because if my videos have too much homework attached to them, it sort of diminishes their functionality as a standalone thing. But uh, yeah, I had a, a surprisingly good time with this one. Uh, I remember when I was initially thinking about, like, is there actually enough here to make a script about back in, like, I want to say, like, October? I could feel something click and it sort of started <laughs> rewiring my brain. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Red dropping how far ahead on the video schedule she is just casually. <laughs> I was before the end of the year, and now I'm building my buffer back up from nothing. So a bit, of a, a bit of a bloodbath <laughs> at the end of last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that was that was my video in the last couple weeks. Blue, you want to take us all the way to Timbuktu? Hey. Hey. Yeah. Um, I... I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted this video to be because, you know, usually we, we have a, a decent sense of, of how far ahead we're working and what topics we want to do. But sometimes I get to like, okay, well, I just finished the, uh, the, the Italy linguistics video. I'm not entirely sure what I want to do next. And I had a couple options and I said like, all right, Cyan, okay, Red, if by noon tomorrow I don't have a video topic that grabs me. I'm just gonna start researching Timbuktu because I, I, I know it exists. I know there's something there. I don't know anything about the it. legends are real. It's good that you know that a normal place exists. Well, a lot of people don't. People are like, I didn't know Timbuktu was real. I'm like, oh gosh, well, I'm glad I made the video then. I thought it was just <laughs> the go-to far away place. Yeah. Um, it's not even that far. It's not even that far. Um, but I, I was like, okay, so if I don't have anything by like, you know, noon tomorrow, I'll just like jump into Timbuktu and then I'll, I'll make it work. Whatever happens, I'll, I'll find something, I'll make it work. Um, and then I started researching it in the morning and I'm like, oh no, this is great. Within like <laughs> 10 minutes of looking at it, I'm like, oh no, we're solid. This is actually fantastic. I'm thrilled we're gonna, we're gonna have a great time. As soon as I finished the video script, I knew that I had to put it on the best of Blues videos playlist because I, I finished typed it. I uh, finished typing it out, and I'm like, "Oh, oh, this rules! No, this is great!" <laughs> so I, I, I was really excited with it. Basically, as soon as I started working on it, and then all the way through the process of doing the scripts, doing the visuals, and the recording, and all that, I'm like, "Oh no, this 
rules. So I was really, really pleased with uh, with how it turned out. Um, not my my first foray into African history, to be sure. You know, every every February I like to to go somewhere new um, mm-hmm. uh, on the continent and do a little bit of, of history from Africa. And this was, I think, definitely my my best work in African history by um, a pretty substantial margin. Uh, because since I started going back and doing like individual places, I did the video on Ethiopia, which I, I quite liked. I did the video on um, South Africa, which I was happy with. I did the video on uh, Great Zimbabwe, which was also quite good last year. And then this one is just the best by far that I've done, and I'm really happy with how it turned out. Mm-hmm. So, I think that it, you really hit the perfect Goldilocks zone of like a place people have heard of that they definitely probably don't know anything about. Yeah. So they'll be like, oh, oh yeah, that place has history. I wonder what it is, rather than like, oh, it's the Roman Empire again. <laughs> Must be Tuesday. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, very cool. I What I really like about the way that you approach these videos in general is you kind of trace a very clear narrative just throughout the time of like, this is how this started. Here's how it kind of progressed. Here are factors that were influencing it. Then this thing that you might have heard of happened and knocked it in a weird direction. And it makes it feel like a very natural thing to be learning about. Um, yeah, but- I think... It's fun because I never get to actually, well, I see the videos eventually, but I don't see them till they come out. Instead, yeah. I just get bombarded with, okay, so this picture, it's not actually where people think it is. It's actually oh here. Yeah. Or like, this map is not even accurate. Or they always <laughs> use this like uh, picture for this, but it's not even in it's the same the right country. Thing. Yeah. So <laughs> for, for this one, I was researching, um, of course, like pictures of the architecture in um, in Timbuktu, the, the three main mosques, uh, Senkore, uh, Jingereber, and Sidi Yahya. And I kept on, when I was looking at, like, Timbuktu, I'd, like, throw it into Google and, like, try to find, like, old, like, vintage prints and drawings and stuff, which are a great visual to use um, whenever I can find them, when they're not <laughs> locked behind those bastards at Alamy. Um, with those freaking little A watermarks emblazoned all over it. Reverse image search is your friend. Somebody paid for that stock photo and put it in an article somewhere. No, even still, usually the uh, quality is, like, crunched up and the, the res is terrible. But um, I, I found a whole bunch of pictures of the Great Mosque of Jene, which is also in Mali. It's like an eight-hour drive, but on all the tourist crap and, like, lame pictures on Etsy of, like, get this poster of Timbuktu. It's like, that's Jene. It's eight hours away. It's the wrong <laughs> city. It's made out of the same material. It's the same architecture school, but it's an entirely different building in an entirely different city. You didn't even fucking check. So then as I was, like, researching stuff, trying to get the visuals for the video, every time I come across a picture of the Great Mosque of Jene, I'm like, you dumbasses. What an amateur <laughs> mistake. So that's why I put in the video and I'm like, seen here, this architecture style on the Great Mosque of Jene, not to be confused for Timbuktu, a place it is constantly confused with. So that was my, uh, my, my rant of the week, my rant of the week, <laughs> oh, my man. minor infuriation, uh, that I was dealing with pretty much the, the whole time. I mean, so. all, all girls are the same, all, uh, buildings are the same. Yeah, all exactly. Domes are the same. Yep. 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 No, no internal variety. Uh, everything is completely uh, mutually swappable. Why would they call it a stock photo if it couldn't be used in every circumstance? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, be more critical of cheap tourist crap because sometimes they put a picture of the wrong fucking mosque. <laughs> I wonder if anyone sells the wrong mosque pictures in Timbuktu. Oh yeah, because people are dumb as shit. <laughs> it's like this building's not here. No, 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 buy it. <laughs> 
Yeah, so that you must was, have um, missed it. It was just around that corner. It waved. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, so, I'm here. I'm eight hours away, but I'm right here. Eight hours for away sure by car, by camel. Yeah, so I, I had a lot of fun. I I was very pleased with the manner in which I was able to construct the history. Essentially, it started with me talking to my dad about the research as I was doing it. And he was like, oh, you know, I remember, you know, Timbuktu as like a literary device is just a place that's far away. And I'm like, yeah, so. Uh, and then I explained the whole thing to him over a 15 minute call. And then as I sat down to script it like a day or two later, I'm like, let me remember how I explained it to him because the order of operations was useful. I ended up actually changing it because I, I realized I had essentially three parallel plot points, which is the history of the empires uh, in West Africa, Ghana, Mali, Songhai, history of the city of Timbuktu and the history of Islam that all kind of like branch out and start having their own independent plot threads in like the 9 to 10 to 11 hundreds. And they all converge when Mansa Musa shows up from his Hajj in 1325 and annexes Timbuktu and then it really gets going. But I was like, how do I run with three separate plot lines and make that make sense? So I was able to kind of construct it neatly in a way that I was very happy with at a level of quality I would not have been able to write even like a year or two ago, I think. So um, I am very pleased to see the, the 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 big progress in being able to convey a story with uh, as much depth and nuance as Timbuktu, but also in just being able to tell the story more elegantly than I would have been able to if I was, you know, bombarded with three different plot threads to wrangle, uh, you know, back in the day. So, yeah, that's good. I also good. just, I think that the Sahel is an incredibly interesting region, yeah. just geographically speaking. I remember, I wish I could remember which class I first learned about it in. Uh, it might have been just the big African history class I took in college. Uh, but when it was like, it moves north and south, and people who like uh, who have lived as herding pastoralists in the Sahel, because it's, it's an arable land region where you mm -hmm. can actually, you know, herding pastoralize, as opposed to the Sahara directly north of it, I was like, that's... Whoa, it like rewired my world building brain a little yeah. bit um, because the Sahara is it's kind of unlike any other desert in the world. I think it's aside from Antarctica. That's only on a technicality, the largest yeah. desert in the world. Um, and the, the climate scientist nerd part of my brain loved the concept of like a little habitable zone drifting north and south with the seasons and the people who, you know, we, we most of us live in a society where cities are the standard oh, thing. Boy, do we. <laughs> stop, stop. Oh, yeah, this is a society. <laughs> but most of us don't move around seasonally, you know, pretty yeah. much, well... Snowboards. Well, <laughs> snowboarders, but most of us. Uh, but, like, post no, like, You know, people who live up north and then go to Florida and then come back. Science oh, said snowboards. Oh, like, rich people who are too wealthy to experience seasons. I, but that's not the same thing. I heard snowboarders. <laughs> I heard that, too. Heard what I mean is, like, basically, Sorry, since, since the invention of, like, agriculture, it's become beneficial to stay in one place to till a single area of yeah. land and, and, you know harvest what you grow there rather than following herds, which is something that was a, a different form of life before agriculture kind of got locked down. Um, and there are still a lot of parts of the world where herding pastoralism is very much the word of the day. And it was just, it, it was an interesting thing that, it was the first time I learned that was a thing that could happen. And yeah. I remember, so the Sahel has a very special place in my heart as like a fun point where the Venn diagram of climate science nerd, world building nerd, and uh, anthropological history nerd uh, come together and you're just like, that place is fucking cool. So when you were like, it's in the Sahel, I was like, yes, <gasps> tell me more. Yeah. I was, <laughs> Sahel I was really spotted. With, yeah, <laughs> Sahel jump scare. <laughs> 
I, I was really pleased with being able to highlight the geography as, as much as I did because that really makes it click, the combination mm -hmm. of the Sahel and the Niger River. Um, some people are like, you You mentioned that the, the Niger River is the river of rivers river, but you didn't mention the Sahara Desert, the desert desert. I'm like, I did. It's on screen. <laughs> I'd say tautology is whack. Um, but what I, I found most interesting that I really didn't get a lot of time to discuss because I kind of skipped through the, the late history. It's like, and it falls off. Oh, well, kind of the end uh, until, you know, we're finding the books now. It's like after the Moroccan invasion in, in 1591, um, it was still a place there was still trade that went through it. it it still had you know people in the scholarly community there but it really started to to fall off as a a through port of of trade with portuguese uh sailors coming down the coast because it was so much easier to do stuff over by ship instead of by camel caravans and the fragility it just from from point a to point b in time where you know one century Timbuktu is basically the center of West Africa through which everything moves. And the next century, it's like, it's at the edge of the Sahel. Why would we ever go there for anything when we can go by the coast instead? It's like geography changes based on circumstance. It's mm -hmm. not just a fixed thing where one advantageous position will always be an advantageous position. It depends on external factors and things can change that, which is, um, Hello Future Me had a, had a good video about this uh, in world building a few months ago where it's like, it, the obvious place for you know a city to be is not always the obvious place for a city to be. There are circumstances where the edge of habitability can actually be for a brief five century window in time, functionally perfect. 500 years, so brief. Well, yeah. yeah. Just in high blink. <laughs> oh, man. I yeah. No, we have to get out. We can talk about this later in the After After Show show. <laughs> but, yes, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, so there's a couple of things that we can actually plug because uh, you were like, for my birthday, I'm going to lift the embargo on monetizing my cat. So we finally got to use the Clio design I drew two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I've been yeah. sitting on this Clio, sitting with her butt in the Pandora's pythos, pythos, Pandora's jar since, like, I, you were like, I'm ready. And I was like, great, I'll just look at my designs from 2023 folder. Or maybe my designs from 2022 folder. Or maybe my designs from 2021 folder? Where the fuck <laughs> is it? And I found it. <laughs> anyway. That design yeah. was made, I don't like, think my lines. first year editing for the channel. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm really pleased that we can can have this. I, I wanted to, to wait until I felt comfortable putting Cleo as merch on the channel, but uh, my position is essentially I am not monetarily benefiting from this. Uh, we're going to donate uh, my cut of the uh, revenue to um, animal shelters locally and nationally. So um, And it's morally it okay if cause. I monetize your cat. <laughs> Yeah, You're no, right. like honestly, I don't care. It's just, it's Yay. just a me thing. It's my comfort level that stopped me from doing it. So. Red, you're the cat's god bomb. You got it. <laughs> oh heck yeah! So this is like cat child support. Yeah, basically. Great, <laughs> incredible. So she's supporting you as the child, right? Yeah. So, and honestly, uh, and of course, very appropriately, now that uh, the lid is off that particular pythos uh it can't be put back on so now we can do more cleo designs if you want oh <laughs> yes uh so this week um up until the end of the week uh it is uh on sale um so you can head over to uh overly sarcastic shop grab a mug or shirt hoodie tank top or sticker um and then on friday uh the shirt and the, all the cleo designs will will stay in stock uh, won't be on sale anymore so act fast if you want it um uh, on friday we will be launching uh our next 
pin, which is very exciting. It is a pack for Valentine's Day mm-hmm. of Eros and Psyche. Uh, oh. Featuring a very cool glitter design uh, for their wings, which is uh, the first time we've ever been able to play with something quite that fun and sparkly. I learned how important it is to just ask if, if there are things that we can do with the enamel, because the answer <laughs> has thus far always been yes. It's always, like, can yeah. we make it glow? Yeah, can we make yeah. it glitter? Sure. Um, so yeah. I'm can we so make it excited. Blue? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't drawn these two crazy kids since I first put out that video, so it yeah. was really fun going back to like the thumbnail to reference like Psyche's hairstyle and, and stuff like that. To Took some liberties with the coloring because I've gotten better at understanding colors since I made that video, and I I'm really happy with how these look. I do think that timeline wise, they are not going. They're like it's a pre-order thing. They're going to yeah. go into production and then probably arrive. They're uh, going to ship uh, some weeks in later, April, most likely. Right, right. So they aren't going to arrive in time for Valentine's Day, but they are going to be on sale for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Uh, pre-order it for your significant other and give them a <laughs> screenshot to prove that they're coming. <laughs> yeah, they're so sparkly. And it's a demonstration of commitment that you're still going to be around come April to give the gift. <laughs> <laughs> Great, I love it. And you know, if there's one thing that Eros and Psyche are known for, it's getting together through fuck tons of tribulations. Death will not keep you apart, and neither will six weeks of shipping time. <laughs> Yay! Woo. This is why All they don't right. let me do the ad reads most of the time. <laughs> Blue has a certain uh, diplomatic salesman-like tact that we can count on in these kinds of scenarios. <laughs> uh. Buy our shit, Q&A portion, let's go. <laughs> Woo! Do 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 do. Hello and welcome to the Q and A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask Us Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. I did that one as normal as possible, just for you, Red, because I know we threw you off last time, and I wanted to. You're a machine, and I appreciate it. (laughs) That's why I do do the ad reads. Uh, (laughs) It's almost like this is your job. This first question comes from Rinslet. Uh, On the Valentine's Day episode, Red mentioned Hades and Persephone isn't her one true OTP. For Red, Blue, and Cyan, who is your fictional one true pairing? Uh, Fictional and historical mythological. So who's your OTP? We're we're getting into Tumblr shipping territory. (laughs) I mean, mythologically speaking, I I think what I was thinking at the time I said that was Eros and uh, and Psyche. Jesus Christ. That's a real Mm -hmm. correction. Could you imagine? Um, Oh, my God. The the (laughs) drama, the discourse. No, but uh, I think that, like, Hades and Persephone, I think that the way that they are portrayed as uh, a married pair in what seems to have been the actual ancient Greek uh, religion is shockingly functional and remarkably mutually respectful. That doesn't mean I think that uh, my OTP is going to be the one where the uh, kidnaps and marries his niece. I just, sorry, <laughs> like I'll, I'll go to bat for it. I'll, I, we can accuse it for things that it's actually got fucked up in it without making up new stuff to be mad at. But Eros and Psyche <laughs> is just classic Beauty and the Beast, East of the Sun, West of the Moon. They they like each other the whole time. They recover from a betrayal of trust, uh, mutually rescuing each other. It's flawless. Um, and it's very interesting because it keeps getting adapted into other stuff. Like, um, there are, uh, oh man, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been East of the Sun, West of the Moon, uh, which is an adaptation of Eros and Psyche, sort of, where they remove all of the elements of Greek mythology from it. So Eros is a prince, 
instead of him being like invisible, he turns into a polar bear. And instead of it being Aphrodite <laughs> who has him abducted, it's uh, just an evil witch, basically. So so Aphrodite's more complex role in this story as like future stepmom, who uh, not stepmom, sorry, future mother-in-law, different vibes, uh, who who needs to become okay with her daughter. Yeah, her daughter uh, is just an antagonistic witch figure to be defeated. Uh, which is an interesting flattening of the story, but Eros and Psyche, they're so cute. <laughs> incest Olympians are an outlier and should not be counted. <laughs> oh, you think the Olympians are the incest capital of the world? <sighs> Egyptian mythology would like to chat. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know yours, but you, please tell. Um, I would probably have to go to bat for Nate and Elena from Uncharted. That's, oh. uh... Yeah, that was kind of my guess. Either yeah. that or Justinian and Theodora. Justinian and Theodora, well, they're not... <laughs> <laughs> they're real. They, they were real. Yeah, um, real person fan fiction is... We don't touch that stuff here at OSP. No, 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 no. Yeah. Well, you did say historical or mythological. It's That's like, true. I, I will say the, uh... The portrayal in the historical works of Procopius borders on fictional, depending on how we take his uh, his accounts of like, oh, he was really um, spicing Theodora up to make her as unsympathetic as possible. Whereas nowadays, us enlightened moderns are like, oh no, Theodora, like she can get it. Like Theodora <laughs> fucks. Um, yeah, this is this is better it. than what she was probably actually like. <laughs> oh boy. Uh. See, I just read too many books where, like, the author just can't write relationships, so they always kill mm -hmm. one of the members off screen, which ah! bothers me a lot. Uh, but the one that came to mind uh, initially was in the Ranger's Apprentice series. Yes. There's Will and yes. Alice with a Y. Yes. Where, <laughs> yes, in the bonus book, they get married, and she's dead by the next book. No! After a nine-book lead-up in the, like, bonus book, they're like, oh, and they're married now, and then the next book starts, she's dead. <laughs> Boo. Wow. Boo. It bothers me a lot. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking back to, sorry, I'm just thinking back to, to like Procopius with the story of Theodore. It's like, you fucking idiot, you made her hotter, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> you fool. <laughs> you absolute child. <laughs> I feel like, I was trying to think of like, if is there a notable couple in fiction where I'm like, ah, adorable. And like... I, there's I, there's plenty of romantic subplots I like, but picking out just one has been proving incredibly difficult. Um, genuinely, mm. like a complete and total blank. Maybe we can. <laughs> can, uh, can, I mean, Legolas, I also ran into can, the same I, thing. can I ship Legolas and Gimli? Can that be an OTP? Yes. I like yes. having them hang. Yeah. I think that they should hang more. <laughs> I mean, that's what that was one of the joys I got when I was listening through the audiobook. Because, like, truly, what we get on screen is but a pale reflection of their <laughs> the true romance at their core. Where Gimli is like, I don't really understand the appeal of forests, but I think I'd have a good time in one if you were with me. But Legolas is like, I normally wouldn't be caught dead in a spooky underground cave, but the way you describe it makes me think it's beautiful. It's like, God, just kiss already. Yeah. And they go to the Undying Lands together. Wherever mm. it all comes together. Yeah. The Legolas and Gimli doing the Titanic thing, but he's just like holding Gimli at arm's length. No, 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 no. no, no. You know, Legolas Gimli's would just be like Rose. a full split oh, under true. his arm. So Gimli's just holding, like standing up on the railings. Like, <laughs> <oot>. <laughs> Hurt. Yes. Either Gimli has like a box to stand on, or he's just like holding Legolas by the thigh. No, wait, I got it. I got Thunder it. Thunder thighs. No, no, no. Gimli's doing the Legolas hold thing, but Aragorn is holding up Gimli. <laughs> yes. yes. And only one of them doesn't have super strength, so Aragorn is visibly like, ugh. <laughs> All right, we've cracked it. Excellent. <sighs>
There's, uh, Fan art desk Monday. <laughs> this next question comes from Quinado. To any aces on the pod, what pieces of ace memorabilia do you have? If you have any rings, flags, etc. Kind of well, gear got you us, got. Red got us ace rings for our wedding. Yeah, <laughs> I was hoping cool. that wasn't weird. <laughs> no, it's not weird at all. They, we still they, have them. They're dragons, and the enamel glows in the dark. I got them one all of them color coordinated. Blue, one of them glows cyan. It's it so cool. Rules. I, have I have my own that also glows red, but because of the way that red glow in the dark pigment works, it has like the least charge and needs to be the most juiced before it mm. glows. I also have like another ace ring, um, a pair of Converse that I have like ace colored little stretchy elastics in um yeah what about you yeah i don't have much purple it's not yeah you're not a purple guy no it's not mm-hmm. really my color I'm, I'm i'm a monochrome bitch bichrome at the most usually blue and gray we have <laughs> well, uh, ace pins though we do have ace pins that we were able to wear to the cons so when we did that flight to new zealand for tim's wedding did you guys also get the complimentary socks because yes. they were coincidentally oh, yes. perfect ace flag colors. That's right. Yes, we so yeah, it's yeah. by far the most expensive ace memorabilia I own. Yeah. I also have True. a pair of ace crew socks that I got because they were on sale post uh, Pride at Target. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have uh, a, I have a bunch of black rings that I swap in and out. The dragon one is for special occasions because it's a little bit pointy. Uh, but I recently got a new one that is a black stainless steel ring with the uh, Ooh, ring oh, yeah. inscription on it the, the nice. in Elvish. Uh, so that's fun. And mm. a friend of mine, my, my roommate in college, got me these little like shoelace uh, decorative metal things with an enamel pride flag in it. So I've got these little... Uh, ace flag shoelace decorations on my sneakers. <laughs> is it on the laces or is it the caps at the end? Because the word you're looking for for those ones is aglet. No, no, no. As we've it's all like a little Phineas thing that Ferb. you put on your shoelace and then. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I've, I've seen. The, I know yes, what you're talking you've about. You've seen now. the shoes <laughs> for regular shoes. I've, I've seen. I've seen these shoes. I know what you're talking about. And my for the bad. record, real winners learned what an aglet was from the question on Justice League Unlimited. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. So not they, to be completely tangential, but you reminded me because you held up the, the variant of the One Ring. Because I have a replica of the One Ring that I just found in my purse one day, and I don't want to get into <laughs> what, how that could possibly happen. But me and my boyfriend are having a joint birthday party this year, and we're Ooh. it's we're gonna watch the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings and make all of the meals, and people can come over as they want to get food. But at the end, we're gonna have a cake because it's birthdays, and we're gonna make it look like Mount Doom. And I realized that I could bake the One Ring into the cake like it's a king cake, and then someone would okay. find the ring. But the question is, and this is the thing that I need people to like write in answers to for this this is the this is the homework of the podcast what is the quest that you then have to go on if you are the person who finds the one ring in the cake <laughs> um just a suggestion as someone who has put metal into i'm gonna before. cram it in there after the cake is baked yeah, so no, i'm not but gonna still wrap it in foil or it might corrode and then you're gonna have like a little green section yeah, of uh cake uh, i think I- I want to flex that when I was younger, my mom made me a Lord of the Rings themed birthday cake for one year, which was Gondor. It was a tiered cake with a, she sculpted a little white tree of Gondor candle for the top and wow. it slapped. My mom is cooler than everybody's moms. I think, Indigo, <laughs> what you need to do is whoever gets the ring has to go get a thing of cupcakes. <laughs> they have Great. to go on a quest to acquire delicious sweets. <laughs> you got any more questions, Indigo? Of course I got more questions. This one comes from Wolfheart. To the aces of the pod, which ace playing card would you be? Hearts, clubs, spades, or diamonds? Uh, whichever one you're not is the joker of the deck. So which sweet, which suit of a suit of cards do you think you would be? I mean, there's like a thing about this that was popular like longer ago oh, where it's yeah. like you're an ace of blank, you're an ace of blank. So hmm. 
I, we could figure that out, but ignoring that, uh, spades are cool as heck, and you can hit people with them. Oh, I wanted spades. That's okay. We Clubs can share the same reason. No, no, spade is aesthetically the best shape. It has the best line work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Diamond is nice and simple, and you can incorporate it into costumery very easily. Yeah. So I'll take Plus that it one, can form hexagons, mm-hmm. and you're into hexagons. It can? True. Yeah, you just do, 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 yeah. do. Oh, yeah, when you put them... Yeah, there's so- yeah, little yeah, yeah. Tesla, like, geometry yeah. classes. There'd be, like, a bunch yeah. of little shapes. Oh, that's right, that's Good right. Geometry. Yeah. I think we can all be spade in this case. <laughs> <laughs> you could also be a club. Clubs you can hit people with. Well, something's very wrong with this deck. We've got three aces of spades. <laughs> <laughs> We're cheating at cards. <laughs> Someone has, long ago, you guys played a game of bull and mixed a bunch of decks together because you had too many people. And at this point, mm-hmm. it's just whatever cards are in that box. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. Well, this next question comes from Look to All. What kind of small mammal would you want to see on an adventure in a big scary world? And do they have a three to five man band of other animals? So what animal do you want to send on a perilous adventure in, in the big scary world? Ooh. Chinchilla's good. Chinchilla's good. <laughs> I really wanted a chinchilla growing up and my parents would not let me. <laughs> What's that one that looks really friendly? Is it a quokka? Quokka, yeah. yeah. They always that, smile. That would be fun. I feel like that's the de facto big guy of whatever small mammal fighting yeah. mammal we're putting together. I mean, yeah. you could have a honey badger. I think that's got to be the Lancer. That's the Lancer, <laughs> The yeah. shitty attitude really makes it. <laughs> oh, man. You could, um, <sighs> what's the... No, raccoons are too big. Too um, big, yeah. Raccoon there's is like, like that like baby yeah. forest cat that like kills everything. It's like the most oh, deadly. Yeah, the oh, yeah, one that looks like a kitten but just murders everything. Yeah, it's not the palace cat. That one's the poofy one. Yeah. Oh, God. What's the tiny ass the cat? The little spotty yeah, one. Yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah. The little, the little t- murder cat. Murder cat. Like yeah. Murder cat McGee. Murder cat. Murder. So that's like, yeah, that's like a four person, three to five band, except for there's way too many aggressive ones in the band. You gotta get some bird I mean, representation in here, like put oh, like a robin or something ooh. in there, you know? To be well, fair, you said is... small mammals and birds are, by I guess. Definition, well, here's, not here's what's interesting about that is Black-footed that a lot cat. of. Black footed yeah, cat is the tiny murder cat. A lot of small mammal scary world stories do end up featuring birds as like weird allies. Uh, there's one of them even in Watership Down. They make friends with a seabird, just like this normal ass seagull guy, basically. Uh, but he's mm-hmm. hugely impactful in the plot because he's air support for a lot of their extremely complex like rabbit fights that go on later. Um, and then there's those two albatross guys yeah. in uh, the Rescuers movies, which is fun. I don't know why they had a different albatross in the second movie. <laughs> Mm. I know oh, it's not a mammal, but I do think also some lizard representation would be good, mm. or like a, a a good frog. You know, maybe it's the frog and toad bias I got, but like I feel mm. like we got to get some sort of representation up in here for the scalier like and slimier among us. Ooh, as like yeah. the spy of the group, Ooh, or like a little like gecko that can like stick. Yeah, yes. chameleon smart guy. That would work yeah. pretty well. Yeah, smart uh, guy. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the thing is because of. Tradition. You need a mouse mm-hmm. as the leader, like, yeah, or or the heart. You know, if someone else it's is the, the leader, desperate you... of it all. The... Exactly. Yeah. Just he's uh, just a little guy, extremely bottom of the food chain energy. Like, but <laughs> but they need to be there. I mean, also like if if smart guy isn't taken up with chameleon, you could have a little mouse smart guy who's like, mm-hmm. I may be small, but I got my shit together in a way none of you guys do. <laughs> I have my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's an animal behavior <laughs> well I would read a story about all of our little dudes going on an adventure uh, but we gotta get to more questions this one comes from that one gay cousin 
For Cyan, a while back, Blue told the story of how you two met, drunkenly trying to explain Hannibal and the elephants with an imaginary map. What is your perspective on this meeting? What's the other so, side of the story? The thing is, okay, I had just gotten yelled at by Green and Green's roommate, um, Austin. We know Austin. Oh. <laughs> Austin uh, has stepped out of Greenitude yes. into Austin uh, since I had just been yelled at for walking to the party by myself by Austin and the, his roommate at the time. Um, and I'm like, it's fine. I wander further in, and then I get assaulted by elephant <laughs> geography. Um, and I was like, this is this is my second college party. Um, all right, this one's uh, yeah. more fun than the first. This, <laughs> were, this was after you had broken my sword, but that was a very passing encounter. Uh, yes, no, when I broke your sword, I felt terrible, and you were just confused. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then there's me, a thousand miles away, being like, I just felt a disturbance. <laughs> Something <laughs> awesome just voice. happened somewhere. <laughs> um, and then uh, our friends kind of tried to set us up, uh, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and now, like, what? It's been... Eight years since, since spring of 2016. So, so yeah, like eight years. Eight years or so. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Good work, team. Yeah. <laughs> really pulled oh, yeah. that one together. I was just randomly confused, you know, as you do. <laughs> All right. Well, this next question comes from Luna Lupa. For the three aces, what advice would you give to a sort of recently realized ace on coming out and dealing with ace phobia? I would recommend you remove yourself from any space that's inflicting you with ace phobia. Yeah. When I stopped dealing with the parts of Tumblr that were doing that, everything got better and I felt no mm. downside from not yeah. uh, paying attention to as it. As much as you are able to. Obviously, it's different yes. if it's like a home situation or, you know, something like your academic life, yeah. but mm -hmm. you also, can get off like, of parts of Tumblr. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Just general coming out advice. You don't have to if you don't feel safe in that environment. So, like, if you are yeah. reliant on your parents and you don't feel like you can safely come out to them, it's okay. You're mm -hmm. not, like, lying to yourself. You're protecting yourself. Obviously, if you want to, please feel free to. But it's okay to wait until you're in a safe place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a right to privacy. Uh, and you have 100% the right to not share this part of yourself if you don't want to. Uh, if you do want to, in my experience, this kind of thing is usually a pretty chill thing, uh, mostly because whenever it comes up, it's like, oh, I'm actually not interested in this. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. And sometimes, like in high school, when it was a much less well-known orientation, I would occasionally get the standard suite of follow-up questions. Um, but that that's just less of a thing these days, and now it's a little bit more, I think, widely understood. Uh, Although, circumstantially, I also have the benefit that, like, I don't really have any extended relatives that are like, so when are you going to find a nice man and start mm. giving me, like, grandnephews and nieces? It's like, uh, never, probably. <laughs> um, Can't imagine what that would be like. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, so, some of us just dodge the bullets early. Hit him with the classic, we have one cat, and if you don't watch your tone, we'll get a second. Yeah, that's what we started doing to our family. It's like, do you want more cats? Do you want us to get more cats? <laughs> This is how you get yeah. more cats. But also <laughs> just like like internally uh, as opposed to socially, um, I remember from my sort of like process of figuring things out, it can be tricky to understand your place within uh, a wider space or, or mm. how a label might or might not apply to you, what parts of an identity feel like they apply or don't. Um, and there's a, a, a sense from seeing how other people are able to be confidently, happily themselves, either online or in person, that you need to have it all figured out immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that I, I wouldn't say struggle with, but it took a while to be like, 
No, hold on. Like, I, I, I'm not exactly this, like what it says, you know, on, on the tin. There's, there's some differences here. This thing absolutely applies. This other thing doesn't. This thing kind of um, figuring out for myself, like, where exactly the line is. How do I define and categorize what it is that I, I feel like and what it is that, that I am can be tricky. So the temptation is to have all of that figured out, ready to go as soon as you start telling people in your life. But um, I would say from my own experience that you don't need to have it all figured out immediately. Mm -hmm. um, as long as you feel like you are comfortable with the thought of, of calling yourself that, you, you know you've got something. And then over time, you will refine it, understand yourself better, understand what parts of the label apply to you, whether you want to subcategorize it into something more specific or um, just develop a, a more detailed understanding of, of, of how you are this thing, whether it's ace or, or whatever else it might be. Yeah, and labels can and should evolve as long as the label feels like it fits. Guess what? You're ace. If you mm -hmm. feel like it's a helpful label for you. Great. If you feel like you, like Blue said, want to subcategorize further on, if you kind of shift around within the ACE label or even drop it entirely, that's okay. Yeah. It's not something you're like messing up for your future. Yeah. It's right. not a sorting hat. It's a vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> and also there is no such thing as a permanent and intransient state of being. Like you as a person are going to change over the years and you'll learn more things about yourself and you might also find that your understanding of yourself changes over time. And it is completely fine to be like, I thought this thing applied, but I think maybe this thing applies or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, also, I did want to, again, just caution against, um, because the, the mention of like ace phobia, uh, a lot of that is grounded in online wank and stuff like that. And I truly cannot overstate enough how beneficial it is to just not, just not block anybody involved and just move on. Like there's this impulse that I definitely struggled with for a while of like, I need to see the arguments that are happening so I can like prepare against them so that I can like fight back. And it's like, people who are being shitty online They're are not likely not going to change their mind because all the counter arguments that you want to give them exist already. And if they were interested in finding them, they would have found them. Um, and you truly do not owe anybody your time or your energy when it comes to uh, useless discourse about a thing that you already know about yourself. So just yeah. truly, if you can just not engage with it, just don't engage with it. It truly does not matter. Just um, be a cat. If the box fits, you sit and you ignore everyone else who tells you, you can't sit in that box. That's a shoe box. Shoes go in there. It's like, well, I go in here. Yeah. If you haven't already, you'll develop a sense of when someone is genuinely curious mm -hmm. to understand and when someone wants to put pressure on you and make you defend your being. Or when someone's just being directionlessly shitty and it happens yeah. to be in a direction that hits you. Like, and also, just if even if they are genuinely curious, if you don't have the energy to engage with that, you don't have to. You, you don't can just to. Google is free. Google yeah. is free. <laughs> yep. And again, all this discourse has already happened, so yeah. <laughs> doesn't need to be relitigated. Uh, well, this question's kind of related, and Blue, you sort of touched on uh, how you found out you were ace, but Lord Unknown Dripted asks, as an ace person who found my identity from a biology textbook at age 13, Red was the first other ace I knew existed eight years later, I wonder how did the ace members of OSP find out you were ace? P.S. Thank you for confirming I wasn't alone. So how did you guys realize you were ace or come to this realization about yourself? Um, I didn't have the words for it in like middle school and high school. I kind of knew it about me. Um, but I didn't really have words to describe it. And coming from a very religious uh, upbringing, it was kind of mm -hmm. like, ah, yes, 
this is normal. Like, yeah. this is what's supposed to happen. You're not um, supposed to be experiencing urges and Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so then I go to college, um, and college was great because I grew up in a fairly small town, um, and so there was, like, a lot of words that just didn't exist, like um, agnostic or <laughs> asexual or, like, really bisexual either. I knew, like, one person. So going to college... Um, I was very open-minded, which was great, but I learned a lot about words that described things, and one of them was ace. And the first time I heard it, I was like, that kind of fits. I might be demisexual. And then I was like, oh, no, no, there's like a bigger label of just like not not interested. And I feel mm -hmm. like that fits better. So I kind of like transitioned slowly um, as I learned more about what labels were and got more words to describe my experience. Yeah. I can't remember the first context in which I encountered the word. I was definitely just doing some kind of online research and I ran into a, um, an explanation of the definition. And it was a little bit of a, it was a similar kind of like slow building, like, oh, oh, that's, oh, okay. Um, because I had known from a, an early age that I didn't like the idea of growing up, marrying some dude, having 2.5 children, et cetera, et cetera. But I, you know, when you're like eight and you're like, having kids sounds weird, you know, people are like, well, you're a child. It should sound weird to you. Uh, but you'll probably change your mind when you get older. And at some point I was like, there's still time. Maybe I will change my mind, you know, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but I, I ran into the, the word and I was sort of doing a little more dig to be like, oh, well, like, okay, well, what is this? What does this mean? oh, that's a thing that, that's that's okay. It's okay to just be this kind of person. And it feels weird to say because I'm a very strong proponent of uh, do whatever you want forever. But I think if you grow up in a context, it just kind of makes it feel like there is one way for people and relationships to exist. The idea that not doing that is okay, it's a leap. It's, it's a hard thing to realize. So I, in the back of my head, I was like, someday... Someday I'll find the guy and we'll lock eyes and everything will slow down and the violins will kick up in the soundtrack and, and then 2.5 children will presumably happen at some point, I guess. 2.5 uh, cats. Oh, yeah. Cats are another option. Um, children just, like, materialize on the spot. Yeah, well. Uh, and it, it was just this kind of, like, this thing that was just a thing that should happen. And it's like, oh, you're in high school. That means you're supposed to be starting to date boys. And I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, and, you know, I, I would get asked out and I'd be like, I don't have a good reason to say no. So that must be Ooh. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was a thing. And that's uh -huh. a dangerous thing. <laughs> a very dangerous thing. And what had happened is, uh, I, I've mentioned this in a few different places, but I was in a relationship with somebody who I really liked. We were very close friends and we'd been dating for months and months. I want to say almost a year at that point. Um, and, uh, I was basically reaching the point of like, I really like this guy. So why am I not at all interested in any of the relationship stuff that we've been doing? Uh, and I was sort of coming up on this point of like, okay, either we're going to cross a boundary that I'm uncomfortable with, or I'm going to need to enforce that boundary and probably end this relationship just because it was becoming clear that like we were sort of incompatible in this specific way, even though we both quite liked each other. And I was like, I, you know, if this is just me being like picky or having really high standards, this is probably something I should work through. And then the internet was like, you could also just not be interested in this. And I was like, fuck, that's an option. Oh my <laughs> God. Thank goodness. And like, I, I explained this to the guy I was dating and he was like, okay, it, it took him a little while to like, digest it because kind of the sudden realization of like oh so you're not in any way like attracted to me you just like me as a person like that it's it kind of sucks it kind of stings and again that's why I thought being honest about it with him was very important and we did end up breaking it off and uh, again like we're 
good friends now, but like there was a little bit of a cold period because I was like, oh, this is such a huge relief. Everything's back to normal. And it took him a couple months to sort of <laughs> be chill with it again. Um, yeah. I mean, but... we kind of ran into something similar because we started dating when I was very early in college. Mm -hmm. um, it was my second semester. So... Uh, I was still figuring this out about myself and I remember being like, um, can I tell this guy who I do really like that I'm like not really attracted to him, but like I really <laughs> like him. Yeah. Like he's awesome and I'd love to just like spend the rest of my life with him, but like, you know. <laughs> it's it's definitely yeah. a weird thing to confront oneself with because I was like, there are like fictional care. I can like conceive of a person I find like pretty and attractive and stuff like that, but like it kind of just stops there. So, like, I know it's possible for me, but for some reason, when the, uh, the person becomes real, it stops being appealing. And, uh, you know, it was just a very odd kind of little loop to be in. And when I was like, oh, wait, maybe I'm just not into this at all. And that's 100% fine. And I can just not, you know, put myself through it. So for me, like, you know, dipping out of the you must be dating people because it's high school zone was the most relaxing thing I've ever done. And I've had zero regrets. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you remember when I kind of dropped that on you no, like no, a year I, or two into a relationship. Yeah, and, and it made sense. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. And then I did not <laughs> Nobody's evaluate that any further. Um, <laughs> I was like, no, I can understand that. And I, I, I continued living my life for another two and a half years before I figured it out for myself. <laughs> Wasn't um, that you said you didn't think uh, people had sex unironically? Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe we needed this podcast before this podcast ever existed for this episode. <laughs> Because <laughs> really, I, I remember hearing when, when Red told me about this in high school, I'm like, oh, I can understand, like, that's a thing. I The way you describe it, I, I can see why this makes sense for you. I didn't think that it applied to me because I was very much a person who wanted a relationship, who wanted companionship mm -hmm. for very much the emotional angle of stuff, much less than, than anything, like, strictly attractional or, or, or physical. And even in college, I remember early on, uh, I... I very briefly tried to be more social and outgoing and like you know interact with people at parties i didn't like that uh so i'm like well i guess i'm just not into like the casual hookup culture of of college but like i still want like a girlfriend and then you know i met sign and i'm like oh she's great this is fantastic she listens to when i talk about elephants fantastic I do. we're we're in business we're solid um and and even then, it, it it took a while for me to to figure out like what aspects of my identity I I could put words to, because I knew that I found people pretty, and I didn't realize there was a difference between that and like strict sexual attraction until I figured out the concept of aesthetic attraction, which mm -hmm. I, I think you introduced me to. I think Red Cyan. introduced me, and then you. Oh, too. Okay. Yeah. The idea of sense. like I I admire and am drawn to like look at beautiful things yeah. on mm -hmm. on every level that is people, people art that buildings, is nature uh, nature especially. that is architecture uh, <laughs> i i was given uh, by cyan this morning a lovely book of architecture of art deco buildings across the united states that i spent all morning flipping through <laughs> that if that was like if that was a magazine of like women in swimsuits i would not have cared <laughs> it's like ah Cool. Got it. You had something <laughs> to say about every building, too. I had something to say about every building. Damn. I remember um, I had a, a conversation with a, an old friend of mine about this um, back in, I want to say, 
uh, early college, we just, you know, reach back out to each other online and we're hanging out a little bit. Because uh, he was my middle school boyfriend for three years, which was, uh, I really liked him. And then he left my school for a year. And then he came back unexpectedly. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's back. And I gave him a big hug. And everyone in the class was like, ooh. And that was how we started dating. Yeah. The, we were assigned heterosexuality by our class. And we were just like, sure, this may as well happen. Um, and then I, I remember three years, like seventh grade, I was like, I just can't see a future the rest of my life with this guy. It might break his heart, but I need to let him down gently. And he was like, okay. And then that was great. It was, again, <laughs> such a huge relief for me. Uh, and when we reached back out, he was like, so remember when I was a uh, Christian and thought that I was heterosexual? Well, neither of those things are true anymore. And I was like, dude, same hat, basically. Because <laughs> um, uh, um, we... Uh, for various reasons, neither of us were the most socially ept people in the world, and um, uh, but we were also both artists. And I remember one of the things he actually got a little bit of flack for in middle school was he would just like draw up naked women in class, and people were like, "Oh, he must be such a hornball." He's an artist. He was fascinated by the human form. Didn't really see the appeal in it. But neither of us really had the social aptitude to be like, "Maybe this isn't something I should be drawing in class where people can see it." <laughs> um, and we were both sort of sharing that, like, "Yeah, we're artists. We experience aesthetic attraction to you know a lot of different." things uh, but it doesn't translate into anything else when it's applied to people and it was just this very interesting little just like yeah, yeah i don't know it's it's fun yeah people me, are much always, more complicated than they seem for me it's always i just like people's style like i'll see someone walking down the street i'll be like oh, i love that dude's outfit or yeah. Ooh, i love that girl's outfit because it's just like i want your style mm. give it to me yeah <laughs> for, for me the uh the the real like light switch moment um for for figuring out like oh Ace, that's what I am. Got it. Was like the I didn't realize people had sex on ironically because it was like oh you know it's you know people joke about sex and it's like oh haha it's funny you know a lot of like high school humor is is very much sex jokes and we had the episode of the podcast mm -hmm. with our mm -hmm. good friend Daniel Green who was talking about <laughs> the assumed episode. sexual habits of the Marvel Cinematic Universe characters <laughs> and in the commercial break essentially between that that like section of the podcast and the Q and A. I was like, huh, <laughs> I got some stuff I need to figure out after this podcast. And then, like that afternoon, I'm like, hey, Cyan, I think, I, I think I'm on to something. <laughs> it was like, this is so fundamentally not what I feel. And I have just realized very viscerally and all at once that it is a much more widespread position than I thought it was. I think it might be statistically standard. I am therefore... <laughs> outside of that and need to evaluate. <laughs> I have recently introduced Blue to both fan fiction and the fact that there are sex scenes in books. Um. <laughs> the A Court of Thorn and Rose is more like A Court of Cock and Balls. Oh my god. There is no chill in those pages. Cyan only showed me the tame stuff. I did. I only showed him the stuff in the first two books. Like, I, she, she put the book in my hands and I'm reading and like I'll, I'll giggle at one thing I'll scoff at something else, and then I'll just shake my head as I'm reading this paragraph, like, oh, no. <laughs> I didn't even show you the last book. No. <laughs> I think the thing is, to me, uh, the, the most convenient analogy that uh, that's always worked for me is that it kind of feels like we're all sort of slowly figuring out that we're colorblind. Like, mm. like, oh, wait, you actually see this color. You're actually like, that's red. Isn't it crazy? It's like, oh, yeah, sure, man. That that sure is a color. Um 
And it becomes so hard to like describe because back when I first came out, asexuality was a lot less well known and I had to, you know, field a lot of questions and in some cases brook some argument from people who were like, no, bro, that's definitely a universal experience. And I was like, if that were a universal experience, advertising wouldn't look the way it does and nobody would act the way that they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's a hard conversation to have because it's like I perceive the the world in a fundamentally different way than you do because there's a thing that matters to you that I can barely recognize. Uh, And like the funny thing is the side effect of that is that I have a little bit of a finely honed narrative spider sense for like when a story is starting to get weird because or like when a romantic subplot isn't well written and is just spackling the holes with like these two characters. I should have phrased that differently is filling in the gaps. (laughs) That's not better. With two hot people and being like, of course, everyone's going to have to fucking deal with it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, my point is. Sometimes a thing is actually not there, but it's being filled in with like. Sometimes sex. writing bad. Sometimes they use sex scenes as a crutch. Yeah. Sometimes characters' relationships are just implied between they are two conventionally attractive people of opposite genders, and therefore they must be doing the sex thing and it's just and then if, if that's all there is to it i'll watch it and be like this doesn't make any fucking sense the emperor's not wearing any clothes you know that kind of thing anyway huh <laughs> i'm gonna stop talking for a little while all right. well I'll, I'll do a question for blue and cyan mostly and give you a little break there red this one comes from cloud runner 5k to blue and cyan did you have to use any workarounds or cheats during your wedding to make up for an oversight i just got married june 17th and being a scottish american i wore a kilt but I forgot my Sporan chain at my apartment 45 minutes away from the venue, and I had to use my now wife's purse strap instead. So did you have anything during your wedding? And this is also an opportunity for those of us who were in the wedding party to tell yep. little secrets. We left the tricks. flowers behind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I and another groomsman had to do a little bit of an emergency run through the rain to, to pick up the box of all the bouquets. Thankfully, we, yeah, so basically we had... We had all of our stuff in boxes. It was it was a COVID wedding, not like during the peak, but like, you know, enough that we were still doing a lot of the planning mm-hmm. ourselves. So we had boxes and it was like, this box goes to the venue. This box goes to the church. This box has to come with us day of. And we had put the flowers in that. Um, but then the thing is, we didn't actually take the box with us. <laughs> it was in a different room from yeah. all of our other boxes. And our apartment was a mess well, the week of the wedding. Yeah, because we had put it aside to make sure it didn't accidentally go to the venue yep. or the church. Which and was smart. It would, it would have been smart. <laughs> <if> <laughs> um, the, uh, any other oversights? Uh, you know, obviously there was like little things. Um, you know, there was some issues. One of my bridesmaids, she switched dresses like twice and then her dress still had issues day of because mm. she had to order it last minute. Um, oh, did? I didn't even realize that. None of the groomsmen um, knew how to tie a tie. Yeah. I mean, there's a picture from the wedding where it's all of us in the mirror, it, it, the groomsmates, and we were all like, there's so, there's just like the, the five stages of confusion if you look at each of our faces in sequence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't get my dress hemmed because it just didn't seem to need it. And that was true with the exception of it was pouring rain that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it kind of mm-hmm. needed it. And then also when we were dancing, it was floor length. So I was holding it with one hand and we had never practiced that. So like right beforehand, um, we practiced that and a Greek dance that your mother uh, kept saying it was super easy and and then never taught never us. Taught that us Greek dance nearly we killed me. If a yeah. Greek person I, tells I you the dance shoe. they do at weddings is easy, don't listen to them. I've been doing that I, shit no, since we, I was two, and it's awful. But <laughs> I'm she was so like, bad. "It's fine. I'll teach you when I get there." So we were in like right before we did like our entrance in like a little side room 
she was teaching us the dance. <laughs> so you I know, got dragged into the dance chain and had to physically duck out of it after three spins around. There's also I was a going picture where I'm like the second person in that dance chain. The person in front of me very much knew what they were doing, and I did not. And I'm like, I can't that guy fail. Was fucking killing it. I can't fail because a, I'm one of the other Greek people at this wedding, so I should know what I'm doing. And b, <laughs> yeah. if I go down, the whole chain follows. Like that was the most stressful part yeah. of the evening. So- <laughs> someone kicked off my shoe, and I had to just like pretend it didn't happen. Um, that i had to find said shoe um let's see there there were like you know a lot of little things i mean all things considered the wedding went great admittedly we had a lot of time to plan so Mm. we were able to think a lot of very specific things through and were able to do um a lot of fun flourishes that we wouldn't have had time for if we were on more of a crunch um but that also meant more potential points of failure such as adding the greek dance and then not knowing how to do the greek (laughs) dance (laughs) um you know it's it's just little things and every wedding like we just recently went to my younger sister's wedding sister a for those on instagram and you know she had her own issues at her wedding they were able to fix some things that we did but then of course there's new issues every wedding's gonna have the little things that went wrong but it really at the end of the day did you have a good time? Yeah. Then it's good. Yeah. I do yep. remember there was a lot of rehearsal specifically with the crown thing. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. they still put, they still put them on bit. backwards. I thought so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was no way. Yeah. It was fine. We fixed yeah. it eventually. It was it's fine. A... We all had a good attitude and it was a fun yeah. time. Yeah. Half oh. the pictures, the crown's on backwards, but who cares? <laughs> okay. There was so much rehearsal for the crown. And then at some point, I think myself and one of the bridesmaids was supposed to go do the presentation of the gifts. And I... Somehow I was the most Catholic and the most Greek person in the groomsmates. And yeah. I don't yeah. know, I don't really do either of those things, especially. You were, you were with Sister sister B, I yeah. believe. And we were supposed to go do the presentation of the gifts in the middle of Mass. And so I just spent the whole ceremony staring her down. Like, when she gets up, I have to get up. When she gets yeah. up, I have to get up. And, and then the neither is, of us ended up getting up at any point. I don't think we did the presentations of the kids. Oh, I did uh, have to do a last-minute speech, too. That was another thing that happened. <laughs> you were always supposed to do a speech. <laughs> well, the, the, like the, I was told to a little bit... It, no, I, no, no. I was told a little bit late in the game because it's like, the this person who I, I wanted to come can't actually uh, make right it, now, so can yeah. you do a speech? And I was like, sure. <laughs> yeah, we did have a groomsmate that couldn't come due to uh, travel restrictions and being mm-hmm. in yeah. the UK. That actually happened had, with a couple. I members. had soft promised the OG Green, my 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 main college roommate, uh, that he had speaking privileges for the wedding, and then he was in London uh, and he yeah. couldn't come uh, because no one could fly into the country until the week after the wedding, uh. which was like you know whatever. <laughs> we love you, OG Green. Wish you could have been there. Still have your Will You Be My Groomsman box. Oh. <laughs> when he comes to the states, I will give it to him. <laughs> but yeah, overall, you got to kind of stay loose with the planning of these things. Yeah. You got to be able to roll with the punches, and you got to be able to laugh about it. Yeah. That, too. that too. I think, all things considered, I had a great time, and it seems like everyone oh, yeah. else did as well. Yeah, yeah. We had a great Super time. Super fun. Oh, it was yeah. a party. Good wedding. <laughs> Solid yeah. wedding, people. Oh, and if you're planning a wedding, record the speeches. Have someone yes. record the speeches. Yeah, yeah that's how yes. I have video evidence of how absolutely fucking nervous I was. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Wait, your speech was recorded? Yeah, it was uh, It was on like the, the drive of videos. Oh, shit, I didn't realize. Oh, okay, I'll go listen to it back. That's how you can see that I'm constantly shifting recorded. my way. <laughs> oh, okay, great. I, I did not know that we actually had any recordings of the speeches. I'm pretty Fantastic. sure my aunt has my dad's, but... Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good work, team. Yeah. yeah. I... We have no evidence of them. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're planning a wedding, 
you should make sure someone records them yes. and then gives them to you. OSP <laughs> Red allegedly gave a speech at Blue and Cyan's wedding, <laughs> but the Citation evidence needed. disappeared. Oh, God. Oh, True boy. crime documentaries. Okay. Yeah, we've got time for one more question here before we move on, and uh, we jump to the After After Show show, and you guys leave this podcast unless you're a patron. Um, so to wrap it on up here, this comes from Ada, 63.52% sarcastic, to special guest Cyan. Red and Indigo frequently debate who is OSP's resident bad boy, but who do you feel is the true bad boy of OSP, and why is the correct answer you? This, I would take umbrage with this question, but it feels unfair to change the wording of it, so how would you respond? Listen, I agree that I am the bad boy. However, if we're going into the uh, wider space of OSP, it's a tie between Cleo and Ziggy. Whoever is causing more (laughs) chaos day of. So, like, we know that's the true answer. However, I am the bad boy because I constantly eat crunchy snacks just to piss people off. Yeah, Cleo does have me beaten in how much plastic we eat. So I I think that I'm willing to sacrifice the crown. I I think Ziggy has chewed on more wires than Cleo ever has. I have to actively stop Ziggy from eating wires about, like, three times a day. (laughs) Trying to blow up your apartment by turning the stove on. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Pretty bad. That's a bad boy. Yeah. Cleo kind of feels like she's she's monarch of her own private fiefdom. Ziggy feels like she knows nothing but destruction. Ziggy, Ziggy just is crime incarnate in the world, mm-hmm. and if things get in her way, she barrels through them at a million miles per hour. I will Although say she's sleeping on my laundry pile, so I guess not all oh. times are time for crime. Is that right, Zigster? I will say Cleo has this tendency to, if she wants your attention, she'll jump up on something and look at you. And if you don't come get her, she'll start pushing things off in order of increasing fragility. <laughs> Ziggy does that too. My uh, people on though. this call right now can see my windsock on my microphone has lots of little bits poked out of it. That's ah. because she's learned that the most effective way to wake me up at 5 a.m. is to start biting my microphone. <laughs> yeah. But and if that doesn't work, then she method. just starts that's... pulling things, not pushing, pulling things off of the desk. She jumps from floor level and mm. sticks a paw up and just like latches into my like planner and stuff yeah. and just goes flying. I mean, that's very, I'd say, lawful evil because it requires premeditation, uh, Mm. you know, a a calculation of your weaknesses and, you know, careful observation of what things get you out of bed the fastest. If given the opportunity, Ziggy would blow up an oil pipeline. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Whether intentionally or not. (laughs) Yeah. If she thought it would wake you up faster, she'd do it. (laughs) And if it was in her way, she'd also do it. (laughs) True bad boy. So there you go. It's the cats. I do like yeah. to, I'm going to hold on to the original bad boy title as that. I am the progenitor of this bit, and therefore I feel like <laughs> yeah. I am you can't justified see my face. crowning myself <laughs> original bad boy. But my face boy. does not believe. <laughs> Your face does not believe, but the evidence is there in the live streams that I've super cut. I mean, I hate to She's the OG bad boy, <laughs> the but evidence, the evidence disappeared. The evidence is in the streams that you cut together. Like, I understand the original streams are still on the website, but you're like, no, no, it's in the super cut. It is. That I did. <laughs> I'm just saying only one of us has ones. regularly hijacked the channel at wee hours of the morning when nobody else is awake enough to stop me. And who's it's your not goat? hijacking. Who's the first person channel. you call when you're like, it's two in the morning and I want to stream and I need a second person? Okay, not... so I have a bad boy first lieutenant. That doesn't diminish my own bad boy status. Maybe the real secret OG is that boy. Blue was the bad boy all along. Being Indigo. the only person who identifies as male. Indigo. <laughs> Indigo, she just called you a bad boy Lancer. Are you going to take that from her? Is there anything, anything more bad boy than being a Lancer? I'd exactly. say no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can be the bad guy. 
Uh, that's not a bad boy. Not every bad guy is a bad boy. This is an this important is a very distinction. Important distinction. Palpatine <laughs> yeah, is not is a bad. Not a bad boy. Palpatine is not a bad boy. Anakin, no, he's bad sad. boy. Palpatine, yeah. not a bad boy. Darth Vader, though, a dad, not a bad boy. Anakin pre-Vader, bad boy. Yeah. Anakin post-Vader, yep, yep. not longer a bad boy. Yeah. Shigo, bad boy or not bad boy? Bad boy. Bad boy, bad boy easily. Sad. But Draken, yeah. not a bad boy. Not no. a bad boy. No. <laughs> Anakin Skywalker, slayer of Tusken Raiders and Senators, AO. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um, when Ron Stoppable becomes evil, he he gains a little bit of bad a little boy bit, energy. A little bit. Just because he's frighteningly competent and at Rufus it. And Rufus is permanently a bad else. boy. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. But usually, Ron, you just kind of want to squish him. This feels yeah. like my next uh, pie chart brewing. You know, this, this is the, this, the next Venn <laughs> diagram Indigo is going to reveal on stream is like the bad boy good. breakdown. <laughs> Ooh, the bad boy breakdown's good. That's alliterative. That's okay. pretty good. You're putting yeah, a pin yeah. in that that's one. Good. If we uh, ever want to do an After Dark stream again, <laughs> that's the first the subject matter. Let me know. I don't have anything going on. Well. <laughs> Except for grad school. <laughs> Uh, but that's all the time that we've got for today. So take it away, Red. You can't tell me what to do. This is my channel. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> I'll you take it, it away. Thank ah. you all for joining us on the OSP stream. I've been usurped. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the OS pod with uh, Cyan, Indigo, Blue, and Red. <laughs> oh, last place. How could with you? Red. <laughs> How could you? I'll, oh, well, I'll Featuring. take an end starring credit. Yeah. Feet.red. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Catch right. me after after show show patrons. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on February 21st with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron for even more exclusive content. Thanks for listening, and thank you to special guest Cyan, and we'll be back in two weeks.